Uh, well, good morning. I just want to welcome you again. Um, in case I haven't met you before, my name is Travis, but looking out in the audience, I'm pretty sure I've met all of you, so you guys know who I am. Um, but it is an honor to, to get the opportunity to speak today uh, with you guys. It's kind of a, it's an interesting week. It's kind of a cool week. Um, I get to kind of be the bridge between Jake's final Sunday and Kevin and Janet's first Sunday, which is next weekend, so please make sure that you're here for that. Um, it will be exciting. I'm excited um, for them to get, get started and roll their sleeves up and get going. So um, as I was preparing to teach this week, I kind of had no idea what I should talk about because it's kind of a weird weekend. And so I asked Kevin, I said, hey, Kevin, what do, you, do you have any idea, any thoughts on what I should teach on? And he said, well, Travis, what do you feel like God is teaching you right now? Maybe that's something that you can teach on. And that took me a whole, like, three seconds to come up with um, because, obviously, God is teaching me a lot about change right now. There's, there's a lot of change happening. We're, we're dealing with a lot of it right now um, here as a church community. But, but gosh, in my life, um, the year 2017 has been a year where I have experienced more change than, than probably any other time in my life. So it was a really easy answer. That's what I should teach on. And so um, that's what God has been kind of working on me with and, and developing in me. And so that's what I wanted to, to try to talk to you guys a bit about today. So 2017, what have I dealt with in 2017? Well, let's see, I was engaged for part of 2017. I, I got to kind of take part in the planning of a wedding. <laughs> I mainly did what I was told. Um, I got married. Um, right around the time that I got married was when Jake announced that he was stepping down, so it was kind of a whirlwind. Um, and then I had somebody move, new move into my house, which in case you were wondering, was the same person that I married. Um, there wasn't anybody else new that moved into my house, just, just Jasmine. Um, but then it presented like this, okay, so now I have this new expanded family that, that we all kind of have to get used to and adjusted to, and, and that's, of course, ongoing and will be um, for quite some time. Um, and then throw into that just, you know, professionally, we're, we're getting ready to hand the baton to Kevin and Janet, which I'm excited about. I'm excited they're here this morning. Um, but that presents some, some change, right? I've, I've been doing ministry with a guy that's like one of my best friends, and I'm going to change to doing ministry with somebody who I'm still getting to know. I like what I've seen so far. <laughs> Seems like a pretty good guy, right? Um, so, but here's another reason that change is kind of something that's been on my heart lately, and it's because I'm also taking this seminary class. It's a leadership class, and what they're making me do, and I say making kind of loosely, <laughs> They're forcing me to go back through my entire life and write what's called a spiritual autobiography. Sounds like a lot of fun, right? I mean, it's just like examining the ups and downs of your life and, and really digging into some of the things that were some of the things that were fun and some of the things that were not so fun about your life. But but that's kind of brought a lot of things to the surface for me. Um, and it's been really eye-opening. And as I look back at kind of some of the things that I wrote for this class and, and through the journey of my life, one of the things that I noticed. Um, one of the things that stood out to me is that, man, I've gone through a lot of change. And, and that's, those are the things that I remember most, the times of change. Sometimes the change was really good, and sometimes the change wasn't as good. And at least it didn't seem like it was, it was good at the time. And I want to come back to that, but that kind of gives us a place to start. That gives us a jump-off point for our morning. And if you, if you grabbed a, a worship flyer um, or a, a flyer or a handout, uh, that has an outline on the back of it, go ahead and follow along with me if you like. Um, we're going to start with number one. Um, and number one is the only constant in life in, is change. And I started out with that being a statement, and then I changed it to a question. So I should say, the only constant in life is change? And kind of crescendo at the end there. Um, 
Because I don't think it's the only constant in life. Um, but we've all heard that old adage or, or cliche. It's a leadership cliche. Maybe, you know, maybe you've made fun of somebody for saying it. And, and I used to be a manager, and I know I've been made fun of for saying it. It's, it's something that we say to help people get over change because most of us don't really like it. But whether we like it or not, it is absolutely true. Things are always changing. Change is constant. Sometimes of change are more pronounced than others, but things are always changing. Things are changing because we're getting older, even if it's only by minutes, and our, our kids are getting older, people around us are getting older. Um, you're making decisions every single minute that are impacting and changing things, right? And people around you are always making decisions that are changing things. And we all have different thoughts about change too, right? Some of us are... Are, it, it's easy for us to change. We don't mind it much at all. We're, we're even, we even embrace it. Some of us despise it with everything that's in us. For me personally, it depends on what it is, but I've been going through, of course, as I was saying, I've got somebody new that I'm living with, and, and we've got a new expanded family that we're all getting adjusted to, and I feel like I need to, every time I preach, I hope Jasmine's ready for this, because our marriage just becomes an illustration for, for pretty much everything. I don't know that she knew she was getting in, into that when she married me. Um, but I've been learning how much I am willing to change now that Jasmine and I are living together. Um, it, things are a lot easier when you're the only adult in the house and you're in charge of everything. Um, so here's just something silly that I wanted to share. Um, I, I resist changing really silly things. Okay, there's big things that I'm like, oh, it's not that big a deal, I'll change that. There's really silly, and I would say stupid things that I am not willing to, to change. One of them is that I have this game that I like to play on my phone. And those of you that know me know what the game is, but I'm not going to say what it is. Okay, there's this game I like to play on my phone, and I really like to play it with the sound on. And she really hates it when I play it with the sound on. It annoys her a lot. And I think that she should just put up with it for a couple of minutes a day. It's not that big a deal. And she thinks that I should just shut it off. And so after five months of holding on to it, I finally decided that I should just keep my phone on silent at all times. And it kind of makes you wonder, why am I so hard on myself, and why don't I just come around a lot easier and a lot faster? Um, if I knew it was good for me, I would. Now, as big a change as that was for me to make, that's not the change I'm talking about. I'm talking about the big ones, right? The, the, the ones that, that create a lot of uncertainty and anxiety in our lives, and the ones that we're not that comfortable with. And, and my goal is definitely not to stand up here and to give you leadership cliches about how change is a good thing and everything's going to be fine and don't worry about a thing. Um, that is not my goal. My goal is to point you to God today, um, to point you to who God is in the midst of the ups and downs of our lives. Because God hasn't just been teaching me about change, he's been teaching me about how he works in the midst of change, how he uses the change in our lives. And that is our truth for the week. God is at work in the midst of change. And my hope and prayer is that this message will give all of us some reassurance that while change might be constant, and this is why I changed that number one to a question mark, change is not the only constant, right? Because God is constant, and his character is constant. It is unwavering. He and his character can be counted on at all times. And to know that, we have to go to Scripture. And one of the parts of God's Word that has taught me the most about who God is, especially in the midst of change, is the book of Genesis, and especially the story of Joseph. And that's where we're going to be today. Um, I was doing some reading this week, and I learned some things about Genesis, and maybe just some different perspectives about Genesis that I hadn't before thought about. 
Genesis is a 50-chapter book. It's a big one, and there's a lot going on. There's, there's creation, the fall of man, Noah and the flood. There's, there's Abraham and his life and, and how God called him. Um, and then there's Abraham's descendants, right? Isaac and Jacob. And, and after Jacob comes Joseph. And the life of Joseph takes up 13 chapters of a 50-chapter book. That's 30% of the book of Genesis. And at first glance, that could take, you could take that to mean, well, this means that Joseph is way more important than everybody else in the book of Genesis. Well, that's not necessarily true. But because there's so much detail devoted to it, we have to take a step back and say, God really has some things for us here that he wants us to pay attention to. There's some details he's giving us that he's not giving us in other places that we, that we want to pay attention to. And so that's what we're going to do today. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be looking at Genesis 37 through 50. Now, it's a long story, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. So we're going to do a mixture of reading some stuff and summarizing. Um, but that's, that's kind of where the story of Joseph is at. So, and this is also number two on your outline, which is just we're just going to go through Joseph's story. And we're kind of going to, we're going to breeze through it. We're not going to go through it in every single detail. But we're going to start in Genesis 37. Verses 5 through 8. Um, one night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in a field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you're going to be our king, do you? Do you actually think that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So at the beginning of the story, you've got Joseph, right? He's his father's favorite. And one of the parts I didn't read is that his father made a special robe for him that he, that he wore, and he kind of flaunted it around. And, and then he has these dreams that he tells his brothers about. Now, whether he is just that arrogant, we don't really know. Or maybe he's just really naive. But either way, one thing is clear. Joseph cares more about himself than he does about his brothers, right? He's glorifying himself more than he's glorifying anybody else in this situation. And so his brothers hate him, right? And as most brothers do, they plot to kill him. <laughs> we've all, brothers, we've all done that. Come on. At least in our heads. Um, I have an older brother. He's five years older than me. There's, yeah, there's plenty of times that I wondered, I wanted to do some things to him. Um, anyway, um, instead, they decide to sell him into slavery. And, and so Joseph ends up in Egypt. And he ends up in Egypt with uh, a servant of, of, of uh, Pharaoh, uh, whose name is Potiphar. And, uh, and, and this is where we first see these words Genesis in Genesis 39, verse 2, where, and this is kind of repetitive, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So here we have it. The Lord was with Joseph. And in the aftermath of something really bad, right, he is sold into slavery. He goes from being the favorite son of his father, and now he's a slave in Egypt. I mean, he's now things are going better for him, but he's still a slave. Like it's not like he's free. He might be in charge, but he's still a slave. So, as things start to go better, then Potiphar's wife decides that she's going to throw herself at him. And she falsely accuses Joseph of rape because he won't sleep with her. And then he gets thrown in prison. So it just keeps getting better for old Joseph. But again, we see these words in Genesis 39:21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Again, something terrible happens to Joseph, but the Lord is with him, making him a success in the eyes of the warden. And now he goes from just being a regular old prisoner to now at least he's in charge at the prison. He's in charge of the prisoners. Um, 
While Joseph is in prison, God also gives him the ability to interpret dreams. And so he, there's these two servants of Pharaoh that have these dreams, and, and, and God gives him the, the ability, Joseph, the ability to interpret these dreams. Um, and so he tells them what these dreams are, and they come true, right? And so Joseph hopes that one of these servants, when he gets out of jail, will put in a good word for him to Pharaoh and get him out of prison. But of course, the servant forgets about Joseph altogether, and Joseph spends another two years in prison until Pharaoh has some weird dreams that he can't figure out what, what they mean. And, and this is the time when the, these servants remember Joseph and mention Joseph to Pharaoh. So Joseph is brought to Pharaoh and he interprets these dreams. He tells Pharaoh that, this, that his dreams, these are God telling him that Egypt is going to have seven years of prosperity and then seven years of famine. And Joseph follows that by saying to Pharaoh that he should appoint an intelligent and wise man to be in charge of Egypt and all the food supply and collect a fifth of the food during, during the times of prosperity so that they have food, okay, when things get bad, when the famine comes. And that brings us to Genesis 41. This is 37 through 40. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man who is so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you, clearly no one else is, is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. Wow, right? What a whirlwind. As I was kind of preparing this and I got to this point in, in the story, I was just like, what a whirlwind, right? Sold into slavery thrown in prison, in charge of Egypt. Like, you can't dream that stuff up. Joseph is a shepherd from a family of shepherds, and now he's in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And that is the first big picture kind of transformation that we see in the life of Joseph. It's where we can see God working through all the changes that have been happening in Joseph's life. At the end of the story, Joseph is a wise and intelligent man. He has the skills and abilities to manage the food supply of an entire nation. He started as a shepherd. He was made a slave, but God was working. He was thrown in prison, but God was working. Slaves and prisoners don't normally gain the skills and abilities to manage a food supply for an entire nation. He only could and he only did because God was at work in the midst of change. God was using the changes that happened in Joseph's life to give him those skills and ability. The second transformation that we see in the life of Joseph comes a bit later in the story. It's shown to us between the interaction um, with the interaction between Joseph and his brothers. His, his brothers come back into the story. Now, there's a whole bunch of back and forth that happens between him and his brothers, but the gist of it is this. Joseph's family back in Canaan runs out of food. And so his family, his brothers, all come to Egypt looking to buy food. And of course, who do they run into but the guy who's in charge of the food, Joseph. So they meet Joseph, but, but they don't know it's Joseph. Joseph knows them, but they don't know him. And so Joseph kind of uses that to put them through his, their paces a little bit. But eventually he reveals himself to his, brother and he, his brothers and he tells them, don't be angry. It wasn't you. It was God that sent me here. And so there's, there's some family reconciliation that happens, and Joseph brings his entire family to Egypt. And everything seems to be fine, but then their father passes away, right? And then the brothers get scared again that Joseph's now going to take revenge on them. But here's how Joseph responds. Now, this is Genesis 50, 
19 through 21. And this is, these are really the, these are the verses that we're going to kind of camp out on for a minute because it's going to cover number three on your outline. <clears throat> Genesis 50, 19 through 21 says this, but Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. And there's, as I read these verses, there's three things that really jump off the page, and they help us to answer this question that's number three on your outline, which is, what does this story tell us about who God is? Because that's really what this story is driving at. It is trying to teach us some things about who God is and who God is in the midst of change. And rather than impose who we think God is on the story, we have to look at the text. We want to really try to dive in to the perspective of the people here and say, who does Joseph think God is? Now let's look at the first thing that Joseph says. He says, am I God that I can punish you? And this is a clear recognition that Joseph gets it. He finally understands he's not God. He is God. I am not. He has figured out his place. He knows what he's in control of and what he's not in control of, which is nothing. He's in control of nothing. <laughs> he believes in God's sovereignty. He believes that God is in control, even when things seem out of control. He believes that circumstances cannot overcome the power of God to accomplish his purposes. I'm going to say that again. Circumstances cannot overcome the power of God to accomplish his purposes. Then he says, you intended it for harm, but God intended it all for good. This shows us that Joseph develops a trust in God. He develops a trust in God's character, a belief that, man, even when my circumstances are bad, God's not bad. And his purposes aren't bad either. And that sounds a lot like Romans 8.28, right? This is a verse that we've heard quoted a ton, and I've heard it quoted a ton. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The challenge is, is that this, these verses get misused a lot because we want to use the world's definition of good, right? God is working everything together for the good of those who love him. Good family, nice house, good job, financial security, comfort. Those are all things. Good circumstances is kind of what we take it to mean. We put that in those verses when that's not really what those verses are trying to say. We leave off the part that says, according to his purposes for them. God's purpose for Joseph was way bigger than just giving him some kind of a cushy life. His purpose was to save a whole bunch of people, but it was also to make Joseph a different person. And that kind of brings us um, to the next thing and the last thing that we learn about God from this story of Joseph's life. These verses end with Joseph saying, I will continue to take care of you and your children. Um, so here is Joseph, and we really have to take a step back and kind of zoom out on this, right? Remember who Joseph is. He started out a self-centered, self-glorifying person, and now he's, now he's humble, right? Now he's forgiving. He's focused on other people, taking care of other people. He's not just focused on himself. And, and the question that you got to ask yourself here is, did Joseph just wake up one day and decide that's who he wanted to be and will it to happen? Absolutely not. It was God working through the ups and downs of his life, changing his heart from the inside out. That 
my friends, is who God is. And that's what he does. And that's what he cares about. He is in the business of changing hearts and lives, our hearts and lives. He is always at work, always at work in the midst of change. And the God that we see in the life of Joseph, that God is the same today. Same God. He's up to the same things in your life today. His purpose for you is obviously at least somewhat different than Joseph's purpose, right? I don't know why, but I feel the need to say this. This doesn't mean that he's going to someday put you in charge of the food supply of the United States. He might. Only he knows. We might be there at some point. Um, anyway, that brings us to, to number four on your outline. And that is, that is your story. And this is the part where we're going to kind of take this, man, that story of Joseph is, is a whirlwind, right? There's a lot going on there. We're going to bring it and kind of bring it into focus and like, what is this? What difference does this make to you sitting here today? Okay. What can you take from Joseph's story and apply to your own life and to your own story? And I think there's two things. Two things that we can do, two action steps, if you will, that we can take coming out of this that can help us during times of change. The first is to take a look back at our lives, right? Sometimes we're running so fast forward, we don't stop and take a breath and look back. But let's stop and take, take a look at the ups and downs of our lives. So look at the, let's look at the changes in our lives and try to see what God was up to. Like that, let's answer that question for ourselves. How has God used the changes in my life? Ask yourself that question. Reflect on that question. What has he done with you during times of change? This can give us a lot of reassurance because we do. We have short memories. We forget easily what God has done in our lives, how he's used the good times, the hard times to bring us to where we are today. We forget that we have probably grown the most during some of the most challenging circumstances in our lives because God was at work. You know, at the beginning, I was talking about this spiritual autobiography that I've, I've written for class, 15 pages, by the way. My life distilled to 15 pages. <laughs> I'm not going to be sharing that on social media, by the way. Um, but one of the things that I've, I, I've learned more than anything by doing this, it was very useful to me. It was painful, but it was useful, um, is that I, grew, I have grown as a person way more through the hard times than I did through the good times. When circumstances were the most challenging was when God changed me the most. Um, and for some of us, that might seem really obvious. But, but you know, in the, in the moment when we're going through challenging circumstances, we can't see that. You know, Joseph, when he was being hauled away into slavery, you know, the text later on tells us that his brothers are recollecting when that happened. And they recollect just watching Joseph plead for his life. In that moment, Joseph's not, he can't see how God's going to use any of this stuff for good, right? He thinks it's all bad. And we've all been there too. We've been in challenging circumstances. I know I've been in a lot of them, you know, relationship changes, family changes. We've had loved ones get, you know, I've had loved ones in the hospital and, and, and near death and, and I've lost parents. And, you know, we, we've gone through all these kinds of challenging circumstances that are painful in the moment. And in the moment, I, I couldn't see how God was going to use any of that stuff. Um, but I can see it now. And I'm sure that you can see some of that when you look back on your life. Some of those moments in my life, I didn't, I didn't even know God. So I couldn't even be really thinking about how God was going to use those in my life. But now, 
I can look back and I can see how God used them to shape me into a different person and also put me in a place where I can use the experiences that I have, where he can use the experiences that I have, the things that I've gone through to help other people. And I want to stop right here for a second because that's what God did with Joseph. This is like if you take nothing else away from this morning, all the whirlwind facts about Joseph's story, like if you don't take anything else away from this morning, please zone in on this. That's what God did with Joseph. He used all the stuff in Joseph's life to make him a different person, right? At the end of the story, he's a way different person than he was at the beginning. And he put him in a place where all those experiences that he had Joseph could use those experiences to help other people. He could use those experiences to help other people. And God is doing that with all of us, all of us, every single day. He's making each and every one of us more and more like his son Jesus, right? That's what he, that's what he does. And his purpose for your life is that you would use your experiences, that, that you would surrender all the things that you've been through and allow God to work through those experiences so that you can use those experiences to help other people, to help other people find and follow Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's who God is, and that's how he's working in the midst of change. And, and we can either embrace it or we can run away from it, right? The choice is ours. And that's the final action we can take from Joseph's story that can help us. Um, whether you're in the midst of like significant change right now, or, or maybe you're not. Um, at some point you will be, we all will be, it's inevitable, and certainly as a church community we are right now, we're facing some change and some transition. Um, and what we see in Joseph's story is that every time a change comes at him, um, he has a choice, right? And that same choice exists for us. When Joseph is a slave, right? Remember, his, his master's wife throws herself at him. Joseph has a choice, doesn't he? His will or God's will. He can follow his own desires or he can do what he thinks, what he believes that God wants for his life. And it would probably be really easy for him to justify following his own will, right? Like he just went from his father's favorite, everything's great and grand. Now I'm a slave. He could easily sell himself on, man, I deserve this, right? I really do deserve this. And we do that, don't we? I mean, I know I do. I know that if I go through a period where I'm really, I feel like I've given a lot and I've done a lot for other people. Well, then I deserve the right to sit on my couch and do nothing for a while. And, you know, I'd love to say it's just, well, I need rest. But we all know the thoughts that go on in our own head, right? I, I feel like it's justified. And that's just a really yucky place to, I mean, it just feels gross saying it out loud. Um, but that's what some of us deal with. And that's what we do in situations like this. We, get, we develop a sense of kind of entitlement. But, but that wasn't Joseph's response. Here's the way that he responded to Potiphar's wife throwing herself at him. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. God's will. Not his will, God's will. Um, here's the second one. And with this, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Um, the second big change that's thrown at Joseph is he gets thrown in prison, right? And we don't have a lot of details about his, his reaction to this, but we, but we see a little bit of how he's feeling about God when these two servants say, hey, I have these dreams. And, and Joseph says, I, interpreting dreams is God's business. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Like, 
that doesn't sound like a guy that's running away from God, angry with God, frustrated with God. It sounds like somebody who is who's trusting God, that is, that believes God is with him, and he's leaning into what God has for him. Um, he chooses in that moment to embrace God's will again, not his own will, but God's will. And the result for Joseph by the end of all of this is transformation, right? He's a different person. It's a, and he has like this peace. He has this contentment uh, with who he is and, and what God's purpose is for his life. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that peace, that constant peace that Joseph seems to have about who he is and where God has him and what God's purpose is for his life. That same thing is available to us. It is, absolutely is, if we are willing to respond by choosing God's will instead of our own, just like Joseph. So when we wake up in the morning, this is a good question to ask ourselves. God's will or my will? Are we even thinking about it, right? There's days I wake up, I don't think about that. When you're at work and a coworker or a boss does something that gets under your skin or, or you're just at work and, and you have a, somebody's trying to change something that you don't want to change. God's will or my will? We can ask ourselves that question. When your spouse says something or does something that you don't agree with, right? My will, God's will. Which one? Which one are you going to choose? When your neighbor is outside and you would rather sit on your couch than go out and talk to them, my will or God's will? That's the question. My will or God's will? Um, Father, thank you so much um, for this morning. But most of all, God, thank you for who you are in the midst of change. You know, you know our hearts, God. You know how each and every single one of us process change, deal with change. Some of us, it's just not that big a deal. Some of us, it's harder for than others. Um, and I pray, God, right now that, you know, as we are experiencing change collectively, and, and we obviously are individually, um, God, that you would remind us of who you are. And who you are in the midst of all of this change. You're dependable. You don't take a day off. You are always with us. You are always working. You are always working out your purposes. Even when we can't see them. You never stop. You never stop, stop pursuing our hearts. There is nothing that can change a person like your love and grace. Nothing at all, God. And I pray that, that these verses, for all of us sitting here today, these verses that, that we just talked about at the end, and these two things that, that are available to us, that we can do, that we can look back on our lives, God, and we can see how you have worked and what you have done in times of change in our life. I pray that, that we wouldn't like just leave here and forget all about this stuff, God, but you would remind us to, to do this business, to, to walk through it and think back to who you've been in our life, how you've changed us. And remind us of that question every day. Your will or God's will?